Welcome to the Haber Show. The Last Dance documentary is done. Our Sundays are going to be like Millhouse and Simpsons, just throwing a frisbee back and forth. Just like my guest tweeted out the other day, David Aldridge, Hall of Fame NBA reporter who now writes for The Athletic and hosts the Hoops Adjacent podcast with my friend Big Waz. You've seen DA on the NBA sidelines for decades. You've seen him on the Michael Jordan documentary, and now you can hear him on the pod. We'll get into David's favorite moments from the show, revisiting the flu game, or at least try to get to the bottom of Pizzagate. We'll get into the time that MJ gave David Aldridge the cold shoulder. Uh, We'll talk about the breakup of the Bulls and whether they should have been brought back for another dance. Uh, So this was a great, great conversation with David, who is a Hall of Famer for a reason. So... Without further ado, David Aldridge. DA, how you feeling, my man? Matt, Tom, I'm doing all right. It's been uh, <laughs> it's been a whirlwind the last five weeks, and once again, you're sucked into the Michael Jordan vortex, <laughs> and you don't know where you're going to wind up. But but the ride's kind of fun, so I can't complain too much. Yeah, that nine and ten is in the books. The whole series is done. Uh, Scotty Pippen said that at, at some point, you know, when you're feeling sick during a flu game, uh, you know, Michael Jordan was able to conjure up something deep into his soul. And David Aldridge is doing that right now by joining me after hours and hours of analysis on top of being a part of the documentary yourself. Um, so thank you for for coming on. I appreciate it, Tom. No, it, it's been. It really has been fun. I, I'm not kidding. Um, it's been uh, a blast that young young people who like the NBA now can get some sense of what it was like back in the day, and that all us old guys aren't crazy that the game the league was pretty damn good then. So I'm glad people are getting to see see how good it really was. Yeah. So how many documentaries like this have you been a part of? Like not like like this in terms of ESPN yeah. prime time, but how many of these documentaries have you been a part of? It's hard, you know, it's hard to, that's a good question. And one that I haven't been asked very much. I can, it's hard to remember. I'm not, not 20, but I, you know, I'm sure over the years, three or four, maybe. I, I mean, it's, you know, it, you start to forget. People come up to you and say, oh, thanks for doing my radio show three years ago. And you just go, okay. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, so, you know, I'm sure I've, I, I have the sense that I have sat down in front of a camera and answered questions about like this before for various documentaries on various people over the years. Um, so, you know, including some of the, you know, um, what they used to call, what did they used to call sports centuries? You know, I did a lot of those, yeah. <laughs> you know, back in the day for ESPN when I was on ESPN, I did a ton of those. So, yeah, I mean, I've done a lot of these over the years about, various topics and various eras in, in terms of the, the teams that I saw and certainly a lot about Jordan and the Bulls. Um, and, um, you know, it never gets old because people are still curious about it, which is really the most powerful thing to me is that the guy last, the guy's last game was 17 years ago, you know, <laughs> and that was not for a very good team. So I don't know anybody cares about that era, but you know, his last game with the Bulls was 22 years ago. And so it, it's, um, it's uh, remarkable to me that there's still that much interest in them. And I think there still will be a lot of interest, like as good as the last dance was. And, mm-hmm. and I loved your podcast episode that you did with Adande and, and Waz on, on your podcast at The Athletic, which is called Hoops Adjacent. Um, are, you know, talking about discussing the, the journalistic integrity of this, of this documentary and just coming down to the fact that, hey, if you're going to get Michael Jordan to – go on the record and release the footage and talk yeah. about his, his own life um, in, in a fashion that we've never gotten from Michael Jordan. There's certain trade-offs that you have with that. And, yeah. and like you said, um, every documentary is not objective. There is some subjectivity in every lens that a documentary chooses to show a subject. So this was no different. But for you, what did you want to get off your chest? In your like your sit down for these interviews, what would you want, uh, you know, the director, the producers to let David Aldridge get on his soapbox about this thing in Jordan's career? Um, I, well, look, I, I think again, the main thing to me is there has been a um, 
a group think in the NBA the last several years um, that is certainly analytically based. And I accept that because it makes a lot of sense in, in a lot of ways. And I, and, and just because we call it something, it doesn't mean it hasn't been going on before, but now we call it something, right? So, um, but, but it's, but it's fine. You know, I get it. Shot charts and threes more than two and mid range shots are okay. If it's the right guy shooting them and, you want to draw free throws. You want I, all of that makes perfect sense, okay? Mm -hmm. um, but it it tends to devalue that which has come before, in that people put mm -hmm. these numbers through a prism. Even even the advanced numbers, which you can kind of extrapolate and you can kind of factor in certain things that make sense. But you know, if you look at a guy shooting thirty one percent on threes, he shot thirty one percent on threes. You know what I mean? So. Um, you can make, you tend to make people tend some people tend to make judgments about that, and all I have said was, there's value in a one twenty to one eighteen game where all the shots are outside the paint or at or at the rim. There's there was value in a ninety eighty eight game when people knocked the hell out of each other too. Yeah, it was a good game. <laughs> It just because they didn't shoot a bunch of threes doesn't mean it wasn't a good game. Just because it was a low-scoring game doesn't mean it wasn't a good game. It was a good game, <laughs> you know, and there were a lot of good games. There were some stinkers, to be sure, because there were some guys that just couldn't shoot. But there were a lot of just really great games that were just low-scoring because of the rules back then. That's all. Different you know? rules. And, and, I th and I hope people, when they watch this, will realize that it was a different era. It was different rules. Um, a lot more iso ball. Yeah. Um, sure. And – Jerry Colangelo went to great lengths and, and the, and the commissioner's office. And Rod Thorne to too, when he was the VP of, you know, operations, he was a big part of that too. But yeah, him and Jerry, certainly. And Stern all pushed for, for the lead, you know, the easing of, of defensive rules. And you remember, I'm, you know, they always talk about freedom of movement. We, we, we need more freedom of movement. We need more flow. You know, they wanted the, the great offensive players to be able to do what they do. And now they've got it. Right. And it's almost people are now yearning for a different era where it's like, we can't win. We can't win. We get a lot of guys who are just flying through the air. Uh, Giannis ended a Kumpo going end to end dunking on everybody and yeah. shooting threes now, which, which I'm not so sure you would ask Giannis ended a Kumpo to shoot threes in 1993. No. Um, mm -hmm. But, but look, we, we can, we can debate the merits of analytics till we're dead uh, but when you look at the fact that Michael Jordan was shooting, you know, 54% from the floor on, and scoring 30 plus points a game, no one's yeah. going to argue that no. guy is not efficient. No, that is, that is the definition of efficiency. He was, right. whether you look at true shooting percentage or effective field goal percentage, even though he wasn't taking a lot of three pointers, the dude was unstoppable. And so, I mean, he's, if you want to go to PER, he has one of the highest PERs of all time. Right. You know, one of the, it, just about every advanced metric points to Michael Jordan um, at his peak being the best player of all time. So right. even though he wasn't um, Steph Curry behind the three-point line, uh, I think he was paramountly uh, effective. So um, I, one thing I do want to ask, though, is um, when you talk about how much interest there is in, in Michael Jordan and his story, it's not going anywhere. I think you could do a documentary – that is 10 hours more than this, uh, 15 hours more. There's so much material to go through. And I think one thing that we tried to wrap a bow on over the, over the weekend in, in episode nine and 10 is the flu game. And yeah. I don't think we wrapped a bow on it. No. Because <laughs> the, 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 uh, the alibi here or the, or the timeline of events doesn't add up to me. Right now, mm -hmm. the, um, the voice of record, I guess, is the crew in that hotel room. It yeah. is the night before game five in 1997 in, I believe, a hotel in Park City. Yeah, they stayed out in Park City. Yeah. And the story goes that they get a late night meal uh, or Jordan wants to eat late night before game five. And there are five delivery guys to show up with the pizza at Michael Jordan's door. And that sets off the suspicious alarm bells and Tim Grover's ahead and being like this is a bad idea mm -hmm. and then michael jordan proceeds to eat the entire pizza even though it was delivered by five people who wanted to go see michael jordan at this park city hotel <laughs> i'm sitting here and i'm like wait that's the story 
is that they, they poisoned Michael Jordan. These five dudes showed up to hit. How did they know it was his hotel room? Like, right. I have so many questions here, DA. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I think this is one of those urban legends where you can kind of, you can kind of tailor it to your own version of reality, whatever that is, right? So if you want to buy the idea that, that he, like Kobe Bryant several years later in Sacramento, was poisoned by the wait staff. The cheeseburger, the, the yeah, ill, the Ill exactly. cheeseburger. Okay, that's fine. You can do that. You can live with that. You want to say he was drunk off his ass? You can do that too. I mean, to me, it's like, what difference does it make? You know what I mean? <laughs> it doesn't matter. He was sick. Whatever it was that made him sick, he was sick. He was not himself. He was, he was dragging. He didn't have any energy. Um, and he still scored 38. So, yes. what are, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> so, to me, this is one of those. You know, it, 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 it sounds like there was something really, really kind of cool and nefarious going on. And let's get to the bottom of it. Dude scored 38 in game five and won it. What do you, you know? <laughs> the five guys. You, you don't, you're telling me the five guys aren't showing, aren't showing their hands right now and being like, that, those, that was me. Exactly. That was, was me. Totally I was me. in that hotel and so, trying to tell their story. Like, so come on, that's yeah. one of the most amazing things. It's so funny you mentioned that because I, I, I tweeted this out during the last two shows on Sunday night, like my, one of my favorite pictures is the picture of the, of the Jordan shot over Brian Russell. And it's not because of the shot or the result or anything like that. It's the look of existential dread on the face of all the Utah fans. You can just see them. They're all, they got their heads and hands, heads in their hands and they're, oh, except for this one kid all the way near the top of the picture. Who's got bulls gear on. He's got a bull shirt on black bulls shirt. And he's got his hands up like, yeah. <laughs> and I was, I was like, I wonder what happened to that kid. He's got to be 35 years old now. And I've had and some guy today said, that was me, David. That was me. And I, was, and, and I so wanted it to be true, Tom. But I, my, my reporter, Spidey Sense, says, ah, I think you might be getting played here. <laughs> so I would love to do a story on that kid and, and how it all it happened. So we're going to try and, try and prove, make him corroborate his story that it's him. Okay, because no, it's Nick, a great picture. It's a great picture. Nick DePaula, did you see Nick DePaula from ESPN? His tweet about this? I did not. No. Okay, Nick DePaula, who do, who covers um, sneakers for ESPN, yeah, great yeah, job, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, great dude. He tweeted out my favorite last shot detail is the kid seated yeah. in a row above the shot clock, ball in the air, white bulls hat, six fingers up, six rings. <laughs> he is reporting that he had his fingers up like Michael Jordan did after winning that, that series, holding up the six fingers at that moment. Now he says, or the kid was counting down the seconds. Oh. I like to think he meant six rings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, that's, um, exactly, exactly. So um, it, it, it's, a, it's a great urban myth legend thingy. And I would love to I would love to prove, I hope that I'm going to get in touch with this guy and say, prove it, you know, basically <laughs> that, that this is you because there's got to be, you got to give me a, some sort of evidence trail that would let me come to the conclusion that it's you. But it was, you know, but it was just, I was there. I remember you just, when Jordan would go up on the road, especially late in games, it was always the same reaction. When he would go up to shoot, there would just be this <gasps> on the floor of the home crowd, this moan of despair and despondence because they knew what was about to happen. And the Utah fans were, you know, it was because they were so hyped. They were some of the loudest fans in the league at the time. Um, and so they were, you know, right on top of the action. And, and to take the air out of their sails took some doing. So Jason, who directed the documentary, says yeah. that, he doesn't believe that the pizza was spiked. Mm -hmm. He says, you know, despite the way that we showed it, we wanted to show the people who were in that room, their side of the story, which yeah. is five dudes showed up, obviously looking to, you know, cash in on the, the one time that they get to be close to Michael Jordan. They're serving right. him late night pizza. Right. And Tim Grover argues that it was spiked uh, or mm -hmm. suggests as much, but the, the, the director says, not only what, did he not believe that it was spiked, but secondly, he heard that Michael Jordan spit on all of the pizza to keep from his other guys in that room from eating his pizza. Like, the story just gets even better and crazier exactly. as, as exactly. it goes on. So the urban legend grows. We're going to get um, a last dance in, in, in 
10 years about just that flu game. Just or about any, the pizza. Yeah. Just, just about, about the pizza. The pizza. Yeah. Um, so now Florida I, man, I spiked Jordan's pizza. You know what I mean? <laughs> Florida man. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, that'd be great. <laughs> so when you look at, at the 10 episodes here, um, mm-hmm. what stands out to you as the prime moments that you might not have seen or you might not have heard, or things that David Aldridge, even David Aldridge, who was there for it and has chronicled it, um, has talked to people over the years. What are some of the things that even you uh, are glad was shown or got to the air? Well, I think you know the highlight to me of the of the whole ten episodes were seven and eight. I think seven and eight were incredibly emotional moments, even for those of us who saw almost all of it. Right. Um, mm the end of seven where Jordan's trying to, he's trying to explain basically why he was an This is why I was with my teammates, you know, and you could just see him. I don't know if it was frustration that he couldn't explain it the way he wanted. If it was anger that he didn't think people would believe them or some combination of that, where he knew how people were going to view this series and they would not look at the context of it, the historical context of it. And they would just take away from it. Man, Michael was a jerk. You know what I mean? Like he was a bad guy. But it never seemed like Michael cared to the point of emotional breakdown, what people thought. But you know, like the public perception, I didn't think would, would get to him that way. So I it always- It gets to everybody, man. It get, oh, go ahead, Tom, I'm sorry. I, no, no, no. I was just going to say, I, I, think, I think it gets to him because everyone wants to be liked. Everybody. Of course, everybody wants to be liked. Exactly. But everybody I think, wants to be I think the reason why he got emotional and, and it kind of teases this, Jason does, uh, the director, Jason here, says in Richard Deitch at The, at the Athletic, mm-hmm. he said, we got to that point, 45 minutes and in the first three hours of the first day of interviews. Yeah, yeah. He got there quickly. Yeah. And it was after they had talked about his father in that interview. And he got to a place 45 minutes into, uh, into the interview and got really emotional and wanted to call it off, at yeah. least take a break. And, you know, he explains in that piece that this is not something you want out of your subject that you're right. doing a documentary is him to be emotionally taxed within the first hour exactly. of interviewing. So <laughs> right, right. Um, I, that, that was, I think, the most poignant moment, something that will stick with people for a long time is why was he so emotional talking yeah. about that? Yes, everyone likes to be loved, but I think there's something deeper about, you know, why he became that bully or yeah. why he became... Um, so intense in those practices? Well, I think it, it, there's, there's, you know, several strands there. You know, I think first and foremost, he's been thinking about it for a long time. You know, he's been thinking about this for a long time. And it's probably why he didn't sit in the chair until now, because he wasn't ready to have that kind of emotional reckoning as he tried to explain himself to people when he never tried to do it before. He's never sat down and allowed himself to be psychoanalyzed by anybody. I mean, you know, the interviews he did with Ahmad were, you know, a friend talking to a friend. And it wasn't a reporter talking to a subject. You know, Ahmad's not going to push him on anything. That was right? a, that, that's amazing. I can't imagine something like that happening today. Ahmad, not, Ahmad has got, like, if we want to do a documentary, Ahmad Rashad. Right, right, right. Exactly. How, how does he, how does a reporter get to have that kind of, he's buddy, best buddies with Michael Jordan. Exactly. So nobody would allow that today, right? It wouldn't happen, you know? So, um, so no, so he's never felt any need to explain why he's the way he is, you know? And that, and I think, you know, and finally, finally saying, okay, I'm going to try to explain this to you. Knowing that he can't explain it. There's nothing, how can he explain it? Because it's, it's indecipherable to anybody that didn't play on an elite level like that in, in, in a sport or in any line of business, whatever it is, you know, um, I don't know anybody who's as good at Michael at basketball at, at what they're doing as Michael Jordan was at basketball, who isn't a jerk. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's just, that's how, that's how they're wound. I saw Tarasi on ESPN over the weekend 
And the, uh, whoever was interviewing her said, you know, can you relate to that? And she went, absolutely. She said, if you want to be the best, you have to give up your life. All of it. You have mm -hmm. to give up your entire life to be that good. You know, and so that's not, very few people are willing to do that, you know? <laughs> and so that's why I think he got emotional about it because he knows that he was an asshole. He knows that his teammates know that he was an asshole. <laughs> and it probably impacted, not, not didn't destroy it, that's way too dramatic. It impacted the relationship he had with his teammates so that he's probably not as close with some of those guys as he may have even wanted to be. <laughs> You know, yeah, because Will Purdue said on the pod last week is is he was actually he didn't really know Michael Jordan off the yeah. court. It was all on the court, and actually yeah. he knew James Jordan way better. Yeah, and actually got to know James Jordan as a person right. way more than Michael. Yeah, and I think that was most of his. I think that's Scotty for to, for the for most extent. I don't think he and Michael have a great relationship. I think it's mutual respect, and they you know they liked each other, and maybe they came to love each other as as brothers on the court and combatants, but do I think that they spend any great amount of time together? I don't think so. I mean, I just don't think so. Yeah, Steve um, Kerr said they haven't had a reunion of that team. Yeah, and that, that's probably by everybody's mutual <laughs> agreement, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think there's like 12 guys going, why, hey, hey, why have we gotten together? You know, like, <laughs> you know, like, I mean. I'm not they, seeing like four of them all hanging out at one point being like, why are the rest of the team not hanging right. out? <laughs> exactly, you know. So there was, there was a cost to that. And I yeah. think that, that was part of the emotion too, is that there was a cost to it, you know, for him. And, and by extension for them, but I don't know that he particularly cares about them, but there was a cost for him, you know? So uh, there was a cost probably with his family as well, I'm sure, you know? One and of, so we, we just, didn't get much from his family on this. None, nothing. And, and again, part of that is, you know, Juanita didn't talk to anybody. She just didn't. You know, even when they were married, she gave very few interviews. Like very I was surprised few. when I saw uh, Michael's kids in, yeah. his, in the yeah. other week. I was like, wait, I didn't even know that they were interviewed. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and, I, and you don't know, you know, maybe he says the family's off limits. Some people say that, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if anybody's asked Jason that. Um, but yeah, it is. it was kind of odd that there was no family any kind in the in the show until the absolute last episode other than his mom you know um so that was kind of odd but it doesn't to me it didn't take away from it in any material way because this is about him as a basketball player it's not about michael jordan's family life and what was he like as a husband you know what i mean like yeah. <laughs> is um, there something is there something called like an auto doc like an autobiography slash doc is it like is it like an auto biopic like what like this is kind of a blend of that, right? Yeah, and I, and again, I, I look. I, Ken Burns is a great historian. I mean, he's a great, you know, documentarian. And I'm not comparing myself in any way to Ken Burns, okay? But I was a history major. I get it. I understand that you know you want history to be written objectively and dispassionately, and you know, somewhat skeptically. You know, you want you, the historian has to ask tough questions about the subject. You know, Robert Carroll had to ask some tough questions about Lyndon Johnson, right? To write all the books that he wrote about Lyndon Johnson. You can't, I mean, you can't say the guy was an angel. You know, he did some bad stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to do those things as a historian. I have very limited experience in that, but I had to do it too when I was in, uh, in college. Um, but having said that, history is always written by the winning side, man. It is. <laughs> nothing different about this than there was about than there is about anything else you know what i mean you know, and you know what like i i get it carl malone i probably wouldn't want to appear in this documentary either right, like i right. get it from the from the losing side to get like the the other side of the table uh reggie miller had to be convinced to come on right john sure. stockton they did the john stockton interview on the March last 10th. Guy. yeah it's the last the guy. day before the nba shut down the right. world <laughs> shut down john stockton was did his finally agree to it on march 10th all right, let's take a quick break to hear about a podcast that should be in your rotation. Hey, this is Jason Goff, host of the Bulls Talk Podcast, and everybody is talking about Michael Jordan and The Last Dance, but nobody breaks it down better than former Bull Kendall Gill, longtime Bulls insider Casey Johnson, and Bulls outsider Big Dave Watts. I can understand why Michael was upset at Scotty because this was it for them. So why is he doing this? And we are trying to win a championship. Subscribe to Bulls Talk right now to get recap podcasts automatically downloaded for free after every episode of The Last Dance. 
Now back to the conversation. The other part of this, you have the, the Michael Jordan interviews, which have been great. The, what I call the iPad snitching. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just like, imagine if you could do interviews about what other people said about you when you're the victor, you've won everything. And they can yeah. say, Gary Payton said this and look at Gary Payton say that and look at Isaiah Thomas say that. But I want to ask about the footage, behind the scenes mm. footage, because that's something you, you probably hadn't seen before, right? Right, right, right. Right. What were your favorite things that you got to see from the footage yeah. uh, that we were privy to? Well, I, it, it's part of the previous question about, you know, you know what, what surprised me about the documentary. Um, I, I, we've all seen the footage of Jordan on Father's Day running yes. into the locker room and breaking down and crying, but we had never heard it until part eight, which is the other emotional highlight to me of this, of the whole documentary, um, to hear those roiling, you know, almost, almost like he's hyperventilating sobs mm. as he's crying, thinking about his dad, you know, I thought did more to humanize him than anything else in the whole documentary, because Unfortunately, I think everybody who's listening to this, and, I, and if you haven't, you're incredibly blessed, you've lost somebody that you cared about, mm -hmm. you know, that you loved. And those first few minutes when you find out that person is gone, you are in another place. The, the things that come out of your body, the, the noises that come out of your body are different than at any other point in your life because it's such raw emotional despair and sadness you just doesn't even sound like you, right? That didn't sound like Michael Jordan at all. That didn't sound human. That it didn't it, sound human. That was, was somebody completely letting go of everything that had been bottled up for a year plus since the I, death of his father. After watching the, that footage again, I was struck by the trainer with the towel yeah. just kneeling next to him. Didn't know what to do. Right. Like the staffer was just like, yeah. um, should I console this man? Like, right. should I leave him alone? Right. And then I was like, man, I feel almost dirty that there's cameras in there capturing that. But right. I guess that's, that's part of the, the toll of being so famous is that if you're going to okay getting these behind the scene footage, yeah. sometimes they're going to capture some of those most per personal private moments. Um, Absolutely. So the, the coin competition, mm -hmm. that was great. Um, I mean, the fact that he had his like own little office next to the locker room, first of yeah. all, is incredible. Uh, the Leonardo DiCaprio cameo that we got. That was, yeah, that was surprising. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? Kind of a very, it was such a random thing, random guy to show up after a champion, you know what I mean? Like, what's so random? And of course, Michael is always mangles it, mangles up. Uh, what were you watching? Man in the Iron Face. Yes. Man with the Iron Face. Love what? that movie. <laughs> what? There's a there's a bit of, of lore about, you know, after Michael hits the, the shot in Cleveland, the first one in 89, we were at that game and, and James Brown was the sideline reporter covering a game for CBS. And, and he, he says, he says to Michael, hey, you were listening to somebody coming into the arena. And what he meant to say was he was he was listening to Anita Baker and her song, giving it the best that I've got, you know. And he says, Anita Baker, give it your best. <laughs> You're like, no, that's not the name of the song. <laughs> you know, like, what are you talking about? You know, so, um, so yeah, that was, that was well in keeping with Michael's, you know, habit of mangling titles of things on occasion. <laughs> oh, that's great. And then we find out that, uh, who was it, Kevin Lattimore? I don't, Kenny Lattimore? Kenny Lattimore, yeah. Kenny Lattimore, Kenny Lattimore. I'm sorry. Sure. Yeah, I'm yeah, a I'm white dude who grew up in Connecticut. So. I remember Kenny Lattimore, sure. Um, sure. So he's, he's, uh, bopping in the back of the bus to that. Um, I was asking Trey Kirby, what was more, uh, you know, what was Michael Jordan's better accessory, the sunglasses that he wore or the hats? <laughs> well, to me, it's, the, it's, it's, a, it's a great reminder of how big the suits were we wore back in the night. <laughs> just enormous, <laughs> enormous swaths of fabric that we all wore, you know, it just all, what is it? You're all David Byrne. You're, you're all, all <laughs> it's funny. This is a great, the great SNL parody that they did of David Byrne with, I don't know if you remember Rich, Rich Hall. He used to do the weekend update. This is back in the late eighties. So he comes out dressed in this ridiculous, you know, enormous box of, of clothing. <laughs> and he starts singing, you know, you may ask yourself, 
Why such a big suit? <laughs> you may ask yourself, couldn't they have taken it in a little? <laughs> and that's what we did in the 80s and 90s. We just wore these enormous, gigantic suits. What that have I done? Like yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's what we did. Oh, we all man. did it. So. <laughs> Another great moment with the uh, footage was Michael Jordan in the hotel room smoking the cigar and talking about how no one should want this life. Or at least yeah. Yeah, this right. is something right. that people do not see. Um, yeah. I wanted more of that. Yeah, I wanted more of the introspective Michael uh, talking about the suffocation of being that big of a star, because I think a lot of people will relate to that in the NBA. Like a lot of like the Kevin Durant's, the LeBron James's, like they probably look at that and they say, yes, that's me. Like I get, I get what he's going for there. That's my Um, life. Sure. Dennis Rodman on the motorcycle, hopping on with a beer in his hand (laughs) and uh, no helmet. Yeah. Yeah. Not, you know, not, not a great moment for the, uh, you know, public uh, service announcement crowd. You know what I mean? That's but if, any, if anyone was getting life tips from Dennis Rodman in the first place, yeah, right, I, would exactly. question their, I would question their upbringing, right? Question so, the truth, for sure. Yes. Um, another one was the stogie and the baseball bat um, in the yeah. practice facility. Like, like, he, like he's De Niro playing Capone in The Untouchables. Of course, he's about to yes. whack the guy at the table. <laughs> Don't forget for the shipment getting pinched. You know what I mean? I was thinking about that, DA, when they're doing like the deep fake videos with Kenny Mayne and Linda Cohn yeah, and yeah. Keith Oberman. I was like, was was Michael Jordan holding the bat smoke, like chewing on a cigar, a deep fake of like, what is the most preposterous, most Michael Jordan thing possible we could come up with? And it's that. That right. that is it. It's like he's about to whack some dude. Um, that was incredible. Uh so it was. You know, I I think I was expecting more of the footage um, coming into this, being like, this is going to be mostly about the footage and yeah, the behind yeah. the scenes. But then right. I thought about it, and I'm like, do I want more of that, or do I want like Michael Jordan finally talking about his career and finally yeah. like pulling back the veil and talking about those scores that he had to settle throughout his mm-hmm. career? You know, we we got a little bit of that at the at the um, Hall of Fame speech, which is epic. But right. <laughs> Who didn't he – did he ever have a bone to pick with you, David? Like, do no. you, he, he seemed to invent slights everywhere. He Absolutely he did. Oh, yeah, all the time. Um, yeah, he did. No, we had a good relationship. Not a, I mean, it was, it was totally professional. It was never – I never had a problem. He, never, he was never angry with me for anything that I said or wrote. I mean, I do – it did strike me as odd that the last action – I think the last – Actually, it wasn't the last one because I did talk to him at the very end in, when he was with Washington. Um, but it was, there was several years that went by before I ever got another one-on-one with him. Um, because when I first got to ESPN in 96, this was the, one of the first things I did on the air was the All-Star Weekend, was the All-Star Game in, in San Antonio that, that year. Mm. And it was memorable to me because Shaq got – uh, was from San Antonio, had gone to high school there. I think it was Cole High School in San Antonio. Was clearly the crowd favorite, had a great game. But Jordan got the MVP that year. And when he got the award, they, there were boos. There were actual boos as they handed him the trophy because the hometown crowd wanted the hometown kid to get the MVP award. And so I'm doing the interview with them for ESPN. And the first question I asked him is, when's the last time you got booed like that? And he seemed kind of taken aback by the question. And I did, and it was a long time before I got another one. On what? One <laughs> so he did take a slight from you. He did Maybe. take a, an innocent thing that I may or may not prove it. A, I can't prove it. All I can tell you is, I it was years before I got another I bet, one. Yeah, on one I bet like a year later, you're like, wait, did he really take that personally? When well, I can't imagine. Is that a compliment, though? I I can't imagine that you would be angry with that question i mean you know they were booing you it's not like i made it up you know like, yeah we all heard it you know so i don't know i can't i can't prove it is what i'm saying all right <laughs> so I, I listed the different things that michael took personally in this in this documentary isaiah thomas's no handshake yeah jerry krause loved dan marley so i was going to kill dan marley in the finals yep la bradford smith allegedly saying nice game mike which turned out as you mentioned very false yep B.J. Armstrong in 1998 when he hit the shot and then apparently was screaming because yeah. it was the biggest shot of his career. Right. Why, why would you celebrate that? <laughs> yeah. Quote, I felt like B.J. should know better. Now I have a bone to pick with you. 
That's so why crap. George Carl was worried about saying what's up to him in the restaurant is because yeah. anything you say or anything you do, it's going to be perceived as a flight or a, a slight. So yeah. like, that's how, how he was wired. Correctly. Correct. That is absolutely correct. And George said, so I think it was, I think it was ESPN, like either the next night after that episode or two nights later or something. And his point was, it didn't matter. If I had said something to him, he would have figured he would have gotten mad about something. If I don't say anything to him, he gets mad about something. You know what I mean? So there's no, there's no point in like rehashing it because he would have, he would have found something else to be upset about. You know, he got upset because Gary Payton talked smack to him. Oh, the glove. I never had any problems with glove. He had, got mad because Carl Malone got MVP that year and he didn't. <laughs> he got mad with, uh, got mad because Clyde Drexler, people are saying Clyde Drexler was as good as he was in the 92 finals. Charles like, Barkley winning MVP. Right, right. Charles Barkley got MVP. You know, like, eh, you know, Wait. the gambling thing, all of it, you know, every time. I'll Kraus, show you. Kraus liked Tony Kukoc? Right. F that dude. <laughs> right, exactly. So, as I've said many times, thank God for all of us that Michael was 6'6 instead of 5'6. Because if he was 5'6, he would have just been a psychopath and killed like nine or 10 people. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's so true. Like, everyone he came across with, there was a, a bone. Even, even Shaq, like when they brought up Shaq in the documentary, it was like, I'm not Shaq. And I'm then, not Shaq. Yeah, exactly. It just seemed like everyone he had, not a vendetta against, but that no. he had to prove something against them, which I guess like, is the driving factor for anyone whose whole very nature is beating people. Right. And again, Tom, he wasn't the only one like that back then. <laughs> okay. Mm. He just wasn't. They were all like that. Ask Kevin McHale what it was like to play with Larry Bird sometimes. Just ask him. <laughs> you know, he'll tell you. He doesn't lie. Oh, what a great moment that was when Larry didn't smile or didn't, yeah. didn't react. It's the greatest reaction shot in the history of television to me. Because he knew. Because he knew if I had 1.8 seconds, you damn right I would knock, I would knock this shot down. Because he had the exact same thing happen to him. You know, everybody forgets the, you know, the junior hook game for Magic where he makes the shot. They call timeout. There's a second left. And, le- and the Celtics run this great play that I've never seen anybody run before where Bird fakes the screen and he goes, he catches the ball on, in the corner. Oh, yeah. Facing the opposite way. <laughs> like, Ridiculous. Like you, you can't even get a shot. You shouldn't be able to get a shot off from where he caught the ball. But he's able to square up and almost and barely missed. He barely missed. And Riley has said this subsequently to lots of people over the years, like, oh my God, I can't believe they're going to fire me because I let Larry Bird get open with a second left. (laughs) You know, what a moron I am. It was a ridiculous play. It was ridiculous. And so so the great ones know that. The great ones are always able, you know, they, you know, Isaiah in the, in the bad boys documentary, which I just watched again over the weekend. He had this great line. I wish I had written it down or taped it or something. I, I mean, I'll find it somewhere. About how when the Pistons were on top, they didn't just want to win. They wanted to instill fear in yeah. the fans <laughs> that we were coming to your town to destroy your team. <laughs> like it not- really is military. It yeah. really does feel like we're talking about and, – and Pat – why do you think Pat wanted the 2011 the Heat to go ch- have training camp at a military base? Yeah, well, yeah, uh, Solstra, yeah. Spol- yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Pat, yes, yes, Pat, yes, exactly, yes. You're right. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's how these guys were all wired. Okay, <laughs> they all wanted to kill you, on- to make you never want to compete against them again. On that note. Michael Jordan says, and I need your take on this because you are the, the editor, the chief editor of the, the Washington, D.C. market for The mm-hmm. Athletic. Yeah. Are you surprised they didn't mention the Wizards era? No, no. Because how could you? I mean, if this is all about the last dance. It's not, it's not the last dance, though, because nobody we had cares. another dance in, in D.C. <laughs> yeah, but, but nobody cares what happens to Cinderella, Cinderella after midnight. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, nobody cares, right? So, I mean, you, you could do it, and maybe somebody will someday. And it could be compelling in its own right, because there was a lot of interesting stuff that went on that those two years, and it wasn't as bad as everybody wants to make it out to be because it fits the narrative that, you know, the last two years were an embarrassment and he should have never played again. Well, yeah, maybe. He wasn't as good, but it wasn't awful. 
it's not like he was awful, okay? No. He averaged 25 and 4 at 40 years old on a bad team, okay? Yeah. So it wasn't all awful while that, that year, especially the second year. What happened was he got hurt for the first time in his career. He got really hurt and he couldn't play. And that's what happened. Um, and, that, and that's especially the second year why they didn't make the playoffs. They would have made the playoffs if he had, didn't get hurt. But he got hurt. You and know, some I forget what the stat was that with Rip Hamilton they were like a seven hundred win like win percentage team. Like I'm, when when yeah. Rip didn't play, it was just he had no co-star. It was like yeah. him and Larry Hughes. Exactly, and you know, and Popeye Jones and, and Chris Whitney. I mean, I watched. I was there for almost yes. all of those games, <laughs> and he had nothing. Okay, <laughs> he had well, nothing, and they a, still had a chance to be in the playoffs that second year. What about nineteen ninety nine though? So we get a little bit of this. Narrative, not a narrative. The idea that revisionist history. <laughs> if they had come back, if yeah. if that damn Jerry Krause, may he rest right. in peace, right. didn't blow up the team, and and Jerry Reinsdorf didn't sew those those uh, rips in the fabric together somehow, we could have won a seventh championship. Now, there's a couple problems with this idea. One one of which is, I kind of feel like if you're going into this knowing that it's your last year. I'm not so sure you're going to have much left in the tank to do this all over again. And I think emotionally everyone kind of poured their heart and soul in the season with the knowledge that this was it. And that's kind of the idea of the last dance, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And secondly, we didn't mention um, that Michael Jordan just eviscerated his finger. Correct. um, In January, I believe. That's right. January of 99. Yeah. In a cigar cutting accident in the Bahamas and rendering him out for it most of the year, if not uh, the entire he season. He would have missed a lot of time, yes. So Jerry Reinsdorf, in uh, an interview with Ramona Shelburne at ESPN, said that he would have been out for the season um, mm-hmm. and he wouldn't have been able to play. So what, what, it, what is your interpretation of what if they could have bring it back that next season? I, I mean, I tend, to sh- I tend to share your premise, which was they kind of you know, shot their wad the year before, right? Because mm-hmm. they all were under the impression that this was it. And that they, they, they emptied the bucket. We know we, we're not playing tomorrow. You know what I mean? This is it. Um, Burn the boats, as Pat Riley likes to say. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So there's, I think there's some truth to that. I think there's probably true. Um, you know, I, 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 <laughs> the revisionism that, that Jerry Reinsdorf is engaging in is, is you know, laughable to me. Um, because Jerry Reinsdorf, I'm sorry, I thought he was the owner of the team. <laughs> You know, and so if you're the owner of the team and you want Michael Jordan back and he has told you for a year, the only way I will come back is if Phil Jackson is the coach next year. You can make that happen. (laughs) You're the owner. And you don't hide behind, well, my my GM doesn't, my GM wants to make a change. No, you're the owner. You say, Michael's coming, Phil's coming back and Michael's coming back. And if you don't like it, Jerry, there's the door. (laughs) You know, what are we talking about? You're the owner of the team. <laughs> oh, and, and Scottie Pippen wouldn't come back on a one-year deal. It, well, let's see. It, can yeah. Scottie Pippen turn down a $14 million deal if, yeah, if, yeah. if you offered it? Put it on the table. Say that Michael's back. Say Phil's back. Mm-hmm. Is Scottie turning that down? Maybe, but yeah. how do we know? Now, maybe Phil said there's no way I'm coming back. You can't, whatever. You, don't, it doesn't matter. I'm done. I'm out. Because Phil said even back then, he said, uh, you know, coach had seven years. That was his thing. After seven years, they tune you out. It doesn't matter how good you are or how good they are. You got seven years, and then that's it. You got to get a new coach. And he always said that. He always believed that. Um, So maybe he was burned out. It's possible. It is possible. All I'm saying is that if Jerry Reinsdorf wanted that team to stay together, he could have had a press conference the beginning, the first day of training camp. Yes. In 1997, the first day of camp, he could have said, I'm going to, I, I, Michael wants Phil back. Phil's coming back. I'm going to sign him to a, to another contract. I'm going to give him $10 million or whatever you want to give him back then. Um, and Phil's coming back and Michael's coming back. Any the, questions? And I guess if you're Jerry Reinsdorf, you're saying I could not mend the fences between Phil and Krause. Yeah. And therefore, I failed as a leader. So I have to find, I have to find some other reason why I, this this could not have been possible. Um, you know, because that, because then at that point, don't you say? I mean, it's not a failureship of leader or um, 
fail, failure of leadership. It's, it's just how, couldn't you just fire Jerry Krause or well, find a new leader? Couldn't well, you do that? Nobody. Pick one nobody, or the other? Nobody has defended Jerry Krause over the years more than me. Nobody. Um, because I think he has been horribly <clears throat> caricatured into almost this, you know, absurd, you know, character who didn't know anything that was this, you know, you know, this jealous, negligent wannabe. No, that's not who he was. That's not who Jerry Krause was. Jerry, Jerry was not a particularly communicative person. <laughs> you know, he, he, he was secretive to be sure. And as I've said many times, I didn't have to cover him every day. I wasn't there. I flew, you know, I parachuted in with the SPN. He was terrible to the beat writers. You know what I mean? And so, and he was not much better with the columnists in town. And so when it came to the time where somebody has to stand up for Jerry Krause, there was nobody because they all couldn't stand him. And I, and I respect that. I understand that as a beat person. If somebody is a jerk to you, you tend not to want to support them when times get tough for them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so I get it. But I don't think, I think it's been really unfair, even before this documentary, that Jerry Krause just kind of gets reduced to this overweight punchline. You know, because who in their right minds would say, would think that, that that's a fair fight between Michael Jordan, who's only the most popular person on earth, <laughs> the most charismatic athlete in the world, this incredibly good-looking, glib, smart, great basketball player versus this short, fat, uncommunicative front office guy that nobody's ever heard of. Where, how is that a fair fight? <laughs> and by the way, <laughs> we don't get his side of the story. And we don't get his side of the story because he never talks. So come on, that's absurd. It's absurd on its face to think that that's, that you're getting a, an actual, you know, kind of real look at who Jerry Krause was. Jerry Krause didn't draft Jordan, but he put everything else in place around in, in that team, starting with Phil Jackson, because people forget now, he fired a guy that was in the Eastern Conference Finals. <laughs> Pretty yeah. damn good coach. And he fired him for a guy that had not been an NBA head coach ever before. Okay, so that takes some doing, okay? Yes. <laughs> you know, um, he brought in, he traded for Scottie Pippen. He traded for Horace Grant, okay? He brought in John, or he had, well, Paxson was there also, but he kept Paxson around. He brought in Steve Kerr. He traded Oakley for Bill Cartwright over Jordan's objections. He brought in Luke Longley. He brought in Al Vermeil, who was one of the first strength and conditioning guys that really took it seriously in the NBA when nobody else was really taking it seriously. He did all that. Took okay, a risk on so Dennis Rodman. He brought Rodman in. So he wasn't an idiot. Stop it. He wasn't an idiot. He knew what he was doing, mm. but he just didn't talk to you about it. <laughs> so you know, and so, but having said that, having said all of that, if keeping this team together means I got to fire Jerry Krause, guess what? Bye, Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not, a hard, it's not a hard call. There's no call. <laughs> no call. <laughs> And you know, to, to, to everyone's credit in this, yeah. six and O sounds really good. Yeah, absolutely. Six and O sounds really clean. Yeah. yeah. And the idea that maybe we could have gotten seven and we should have brought everyone back, man, we saw Michael Jordan come back after the baseball season and he lost to the, to the magic. So we right. know that if he's compromised in any way, right. Um, that it's not just Michael Jordan's in uniform, we're going to lose in the playoffs. It's not right. the case. We already know that. So I just think that in the end, uh, this is the best story. It, it certainly is better. Sure. It, it is. I mean, maybe, maybe, David, you think they bring him back for his seventh season and they win again. Maybe. But right. I just think 6-0 and sounds so clean. And even Michael Jordan admitted that he didn't want to be Kevin McHale or Larry Burr, the, those Celtics teams who were exactly. on their last legs after their prime. So right. I, I look at this situation and I say, I think it ended, ended beautifully with the Bulls era. Yeah. It did. Well, nobody wants to remember 42-year-old Willie May stumbling around the outfield, you know, with the Mets. Nobody wants to remember that. that does, that's not what people want to remember about Willie Mays. Mm. You know what? Nobody wants to remember Ali fighting against Trevor Burbick in the Bahamas after the, after the Larry Holmes fight. Nobody wants to remember that. 
you know, so he wants to see Patrick Ewing in a Sonics uniform. Exactly. Or, or Hakeem Olajuwon in a Raptors uniform. Nobody wants to remember that. You know, nobody wants to talk about that. And, and you know, we like our legends to be legendary. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so yeah, I mean, I think that it, it, it's all of the rest of the guys kind of went out star-crossed, injured, on their last legs, you know, Bird with the back and Mikhail with the ankle and Isaiah's wrist was all jacked up, you know what I mean? And Magic, God bless him, he came back, but yeah, I'm just telling you, it wasn't, it wasn't Moonlight and Roses. I'm just telling you that, okay? As, you know, the last time he came back. So, um, you know, it never, usually doesn't end that clean and that well for a great player. They usually stay well past their expiration date. That shot, I mean, storybook. It's a fairy tale, the yeah. shot against Brian Russell. Um, yeah. Now, let's, let's finish on this. Foul, push-off or no push-off? I mean, it probably was – it probably <laughs> was – it was probably – you could call – let's put it this way. You could have called an offensive foul. Name me the referee that would do that. <laughs> no, the same way that Reggie on the push-off. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm not exactly. calling that. Nobody's calling it. So what's, so you can argue about it, but what's the point? And nobody was ever going to – that's never going to get called in that situation. So why argue about it? He made the shot. <laughs> made I, think the shot. He, I think he was falling over anyway. I mean – probably uh, was, but you could have called – there was contact. He did. He did. He did push, yeah, yeah, but it wasn't, it wasn't like egregious. Oh my God. How could they have possibly not called that? You know, it's a, it's a 50, 50. You can call it, you can not call it. I would have been fine either way. There you have it. The hall of fame, Kurt Gowdy award-winning journalist saying, you know what? I, I don't know. Could have been, could have been <laughs> the hot take there from, yeah. uh, from David Aldridge. You I know was, what? I, I appreciate that. Because we I need was, more of that in this world. Is you know what? Who cares? It could have been. I was told a long time ago, Tom. The three most important words a reporter or a journalist should should memorize is "I don't know." Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and 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 live with that. We don't know. We don't have an answer for. Stop pretending like you have an answer for everything that goes on. Sometimes you don't know. Fine, try to find out, but you don't know everything. Live with that. It's okay. You know. <laughs> and that's why there's going to be a pizza gate. The last pizza. The yeah. last pizza documentary. We don't know. We need to get to the bottom of it. Exactly. Uh, David Aldridge, thank you so much for joining me. I know you've got places to go, places to be on Zoom uh, and interviews to do. So thank you so much for taking the time to be on this little show here. Tom, my pleasure, man. You do a great job and, and best of luck to you. Continued success, my friend. All right, that'll do it for this week's episode of The Haber Show. Uh, big shout out to David Aldridge. Um, you can find him at David Aldridge DC on Twitter. Uh, you can read everything from him at The Athletic. He also hosts a podcast called Hoops Adjacent. Go check that out. Um, he is just the best. Uh, he's a Hall of Famer, like I said at the top. Hall of Famer for a reason. So if you haven't listened to the previous episodes on The Last Dance recaps, I had J.A. Donde, who's all over that documentary, too. Also, Pablo Torre from ESPN, who is as big of a doc buff you'll find. Um, and he's a really good dude, too. So... Uh, go listen to those episodes. Also check out last week had a sit down round table with Will Purdue, Kendall Gill, Casey Johnson from NBC Sports Chicago. That was awesome as well. Lots of good gambling stories about Michael Jordan in there too. So go check that out. Uh, and until next time on the Haber Show.